Hi, my fellow educators. Welcome to the Teacher's Impact Podcast. My name is Shani Marie Ogilvy, Certified Educator, and I am your host. If you are a teacher that wants to share or hear the opinions, experiences of other teachers, looking for innovative ideas for your classroom, learn how to apply research-based practices in your classroom, feel like your voice is not being heard because decisions are being made by people who haven't been in a classroom, then this podcast is for you. I have been in education for over 10 years and I've served in many different roles. I've been a classroom teacher, instructional coach, supervisor, and curriculum fellow. But in the end, my experience and passion for student achievement is what drives me. My hope is that we're able to share our expertise and knowledge, which helps us to learn and grow through these weekly episodes. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Teachers Impact Podcast. We have Mo Sybil here today, and we're so excited to have her. Uh, We actually met through the Women of Color Podcasters. There was a spinoff group from the the Women of Color Podcasters, and we met on a Zoom call, and I was so I was so impressed by her enthusiasm and everything she was telling me about podcasting and everything that she was doing. And she said that she wanted to be a guest on the show. And I was like, great, come on over. Um, I'd love to talk to you to learn more about you as a professor, as a teacher. She's going to go ahead and tell us a little bit about herself. Thank you so much, Shani Mary, for that introduction. Um, hello, everyone. My name is Mo. I describe myself as a Nigerian-born, U.S.-educated, Korean-speaking, struggling intellectual, and I'm also the host and creator of the Mo Civil Podcast, which is a show for Blacks, Asians, and those all of them. I am currently an assistant professor of pharmacy, got my PhD in health economics and outcomes research at the University of Texas at Austin. And currently I am a third year tenure track assistant professor of pharmacy at the University of Oklahoma Health Sciences Center, where I conduct health economics and outcomes research related to quality of life and disease burden in lupus and cancer patients. And um, I also teach professional and graduate students and I'm excited to be on the show. Wow, great. So Mo is very busy, as we can see. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time again. So our first question is, why did you become a teacher and professor? Oh, wow, that's a very um, deep question, I guess. Um, let me let me just go back to, I guess, my personality type. I am surrounded by a lot of teachers my a lot of my aunties are teachers my mom's sisters are teachers a lot of people that have influenced my life are also teachers and educators and i never thought for a second growing up that i was going to end up you know being in this profession but i've always had this insatiable insatiable curiosity for like teaching people stuff and like learning stuff and just mopping up knowledge I describe myself as a knowledge hoarder like a squirrel just always trying like find new stuff i get high on you know learning new stuff and so um, that was me all throughout school. And while I was in college, I used to, I was a person that could explain difficult concepts to everyone. I always had this gift of understanding difficult things and I could break it down and make it easily understood, you know, by my peers. So I used to do a lot of peer tutoring and even because I, I went to pharmacy school, even those that came, you know, after me, I will set up like teaching classes and all that. And so fast forward to when I went to um, get my PhD, I was actually kind of stuck between going into the industry as a, you know, to to be to work with pharma or just, you know, entering into academia. And 
confusing enough, I got two job offers in those two different professions. And I was just running around, like trying to find out what was supposed to do. I spoke to a lot of people and everyone had like a different opinion. Oh, you should go to pharma because you're good at that, that. Oh, you should go to academia because it's that, that, that. Anyways, at the end of the day, I sat down myself and it just came down to freedom, you know, um, intellectual freedom and the pursuit of research unhinged by, you know, companies interest and all that so yeah um this is why i'm in academia i do enjoy teaching i have owned up to it um i i love imparting that knowledge i love when the light bulb you know um goes up in my students um brain when they're learning stuff and i love that um, i'm not one that wants to teach and just teach everything i like my students to come at it using their own style of learning to kind of make it and just keep passing it on so yes that's how i came up on um teaching Wow, that's wonderful. Yeah, that love of learning new things definitely is a passion for um, for teaching. So thank you. What has been the most difficult part about your journey? Where do I start from? I guess, I think for me, it's just the lack of training in some aspects. And just to put a little bit of a caveat is, set a template for things I'm going to be talking about. As you probably know by now, and I mentioned earlier on, I didn't grow up in the U.S. I'm from Nigeria, and it's a totally different beast as far as the education system is here, is concerned. And then two will be, I come from a non-education pathway, meaning my PhD wasn't in education. So I'm more science-driven, but I do have a lot for, for teaching. So my job description, I'm on a tenure track. I will be evaluated on three uh, major parameters. One is teaching, one is research, and then the other one is my service and, you know, community involvement. So um, that said, not coming from an education track made a lot of things quite difficult for me. I mean, as a grad student, I was a TA, meaning a teaching assistant, but it's different because you are really assisting somebody, right? Yeah. I did develop, I did help to develop some curriculum and all that, but the sole responsibility wasn't on me. And then, so between grad school and working in my position, there was no training period. It was just like, okay, you're done with school right now. And then this is your new role. It's like, wait, what? You know? And my program still does a little bit of helping with academic mentor, but I feel like as a whole, like the profession can, especially for pharmacy profession, we can emphasize higher education training, especially for people like us, I didn't come from the education pathway. So um, like setting objectives, and measurable objectives, Bloom's taxonomy, you know, <laughs> I hate that thing. <laughs> and um, assessments, certain questions. I mean, I have a deep, deep, deep appreciation for, you know, teachers who have to set questions and make sure they are, you know, keen to their objectives. Those things are hard. So for any student out there, no matter how hard it is, you think you're taking questions, it's a little hard for us to set those questions, make sure that they're discriminatory enough, like those that, you know, um, master the con con content versus those that didn't master the contents, how you can like differentiate them. It's an art to it. And unfortunately you have to do several iterations of it to be very good at that. And as you can imagine being my third year, I've, you know, I just keep learning. And sometimes students don't really get that. And they're quite, you know, um, I guess, irritable and very rash about things because, you know, I, I don't really blame them. So that's one of the biggest problem I have. I wish there could be more training. I actually asked this question to a, a group that I belong to with um, other professors like me, and someone had said that in the UK, they actually give the, the professors like a year 
before they can, you know, the teacher train them for a year on how to teach and how to set questions and all that kind of stuff. I wish I had that kind of training. But, you know, my position teaching is just a part of it, so I can understand why. So that's one of the most difficult part of it. I, I really don't like, um, and sometimes I feel like, because I teach pharmacy professional students, there's a lot of emphasis on multiple choice questions, which I don't really think is a true test of knowledge. And I do get it, like a lot of things we do right now are automated. With COVID shut down, we've had to like transition to online teaching and, you know, we, we set the questions online. They're like, we have like um, technology to kind of see how they're doing, taking the questions and all that kind of stuff. So it makes things a lot easier as far as, you know, grading the exams. But I feel like for a true test of knowledge, thinking about, let's go back to Bloom's taxonomy, you know, how much have they mastered the content? I like to like read essays and see, you know, the thought processes, because I feel like some students actually do better with, you know, open-ended questions than with multiple choice questions. But there's a lot of emphasis on multiple choice questions, which I really don't like because, you know, it's just like, okay. So yes, um, I could go on and on, but those are my top two ones. <laughs> Wow, it's it's funny how it's similar in the elementary level because it's the same struggles that teachers go through in elementary at the elementary level when I first started. Um, because I took the alternate route because oh, really? I went to school for business actually, and then I switched over to um to elementary teaching. But yeah, like you're saying, the critical thinking, you know, using Bloom's taxonomy, asking questions, and differentiating your instruction is is definitely an art to it. And I think people don't realize Definitely. that. So it's just, it's interesting how at the higher level, you guys are going through the same thing. So that, that kind oh, of blows yeah. my mind a little bit, but <laughs> thank you for yeah, sharing. Yeah, no, no, for real, for real. It's, it's, it's really, it's a struggle, but it's also encouraging to know that whether they are in kindergarten or elementary or whether they're in grad school, it's similar problems. So thanks for that reminder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so my next question is, what has been the most rewarding part about your journey? Oh, wow. Um, I, like I said, on, I love when I'm able to, like, I feel like I'm making an impact on a student's life. And I know that for a lot of students, and, you know, this is probably true for most people, is they're very great concerned about their grades and how, you know, um, to maximize all of that. But I'm always that professor that helps them to think beyond the classroom. I, because it's very important for us as you know, um, future health healthcare practitioners. So I want them to not be so focused on the grades, and I always emphasize that. I, mean, I understand making an A or a B, whatever your goals are important to you. My my goal is to equip them to be out there. And I guess the um, for the first time this year, I was able to have my wife and my mistress meet together and by that I mean my podcast and my professional life <laughs> so I coordinated a course on public health and health policy and I introduced it was my first time inheriting that course and I had the free range like revamp it which I did I introduced two um, main topics on that global health which kind of covered COVID and you know pharmacists response to it but because it's a pharmacy student and then the second bit was on international health I wanted them to learn about the health system, like comparative health systems of other countries. And so I did that thing of assigning them into groups and I gave them countries a lot of them had never heard of. I mean, these are students in Oklahoma, so you can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so like countries like, you know, Nauru, um, I mean, some of them know Haiti, 
um, Madagascar, and I had them just go research about the countries. So they had to like give a little presentation on the demographics, fun facts about the country, um, what's the healthcare system like, what's the population density, and then uh, also look at what pharmacies, the roles pharmacies play. And, and the final bit was, we know, because there, there are three ways of assessing the healthcare system. They call it the iron triangle of healthcare, which is you use cost, quality, and access. And no country in the world has all those three things like perfect. Like for example, the US, cost is an issue, but access uh -huh. and quality, we can say we have it. In Canada, cost isn't an issue because you know it's you know um, socialized insurance there. And here, so I, I let them go and you know look at these healthcare systems. What do they think they, they do very well compared to the US? And what do you think we can use to like take some what loops can we borrow from the healthcare systems to improve that of the US? So it was just it got them thinking and it was very exciting for me because it was my first time putting that together. And I really want my students to be more, you know, um at least savvy about what's going on around the world. And I also taught a class uh, a part of the class was also I introduced cultural competence, which you know I thought was very important because the US is so uh, pluralistic and um, chances are they might end up meeting patients with different you know beliefs and while comp cultural competence is something that is very very hard to attain if you're not born into that culture or even immersed deeply into that culture at least having that awareness and knowledge a little bit of a lower level so those are some of the things i try to impart to my students i as an as an as a foreigner who has you know made the u.s home for the past you know decade I, I do have that gift of seeing things in a different way. And so I wanted to give them that excitement of the ability to approach systems and even think globally as pharmacists, no matter what part of the world they might be practicing it. So yes, yeah, so those are some of the rewarding things about being in academia is how it's kind of flexible in a bit to be able to um, put in a little bit of your own creativity. I also like um, the feedback from students, you know, it's funny that this interview couldn't have come at a better time. Yesterday, I got the email that my course evaluation for this particular course was ready. And I put up a post on Facebook, like, you guys send prayers my way. <laughs> As you can imagine, anyone, people that take surveys after, like people that put evaluation, either have like good things to say or really bad things to say. So we had a mixture of that and it was mostly positive, but um, I love reading some of the, you know, uh, a lot of the feedback, even the ones that weren't very positive. But over the years, I've had like students just email me randomly and just thanking me. Um, I have some students that I taught in grad school who are currently in grad school right now themselves. And I've had, I've met them at conferences and they've always been, you know, oh, thank you so much. I learned a lot from you. So things oh, like wow. that, they, they get you going because, you know, humanly, humanly speaking, I mean, you always want to hear like, you know, um, good feedback and all that. So yes. Just getting those unexpected thank you, you know, in the mail or an email from a former student thanking you about a class you taught them a while ago or how you help them think about their career. And I'm also very open about the career trajectory I've had. I've, I've probably done it all, you know, community pharmacy, hospital pharmacy. Uh, I've practiced as a consultant and how I ended up, up in, you know, academia. So I always let them know that no matter where you find yourself, you can always change your path. There's no fixed path. Like, so don't be worried about, oh, if I end up doing this, I'm going to be stuck. No, pharmacy is quite flexible. So I put a lot of my life experience as well. So now you can see that, oh, if I, if, she, if, I, if she can do it, then I can too. Wow, that's awesome. I, li I like when you said that um. You try to not focus so much on the grades, but the real world experience of what they're actually going to 
experience out in the in the real world because ideally like that's why they're going to school right um, exactly as pharmacists they're going to be taking care of people and i would take an empathetic compassionate pharmacist over someone that's having like a 4.0 gpa if you lack that empathy you know and i think as the health as a healthcare professional we're in the business of people so i always make sure they're always thinking about the you know students it's always nice to have you know students of the patient sorry it's always nice to have um, students that about braining and empathetic but if i would choose one i'll always go with empathy you know yeah definitely and that cultural competency piece is so important yeah because without that we're in trouble right <laughs> yeah i mean look at what we're living right now we can use a little bit of our empathy you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah seriously so i i completely agree with you on that one um so my next question is um what are some of your ideas on how to improve the education system i think quite a lot of the administrative part of it I, i'm just not i don't know i'm a different kind of breed I guess it comes from my personality type. I don't like being in meetings about, you know, meetings. I don't like, you know, things that don't bring me joy or like, you know, my condo will say that don't spark joy in me. So I think cutting a lot of the excessive administrative part of it will be one of the things. And I also think like training in the first year, probably like I said, for people that are in the non, you know, traditional non-education pathway will be very, very helpful. Now I do understand that I'm not my my position is not just to teach. I still have those other two components of research and service, but I still want to be able to do it better because a lot of what I've learned. I do have an academic mentor, but it's flexible because I have to be the one to initiate, you know, the relationship and going in what I want. But I would have wanted a bit more of a I want to say deliberate training for like you know for, for like new tenure track professors. I think that would be another one, and I think also making uh, perfect, well, let me put it this way, a little bit less student-centric. So like I said, I'm from Nigeria, right? It's a totally opposite ball game. Then let me give you an example. And these are like two extremes I'm going to be comparing. In my country, professors or anyone in academia as a whole, you are seen as a god. Mm. And as you can imagine, the good side of that is you get the respect, you get the reverence, but the bad side of that is, you know, you people fear you, which is really bad. And you're not able to, students are not able to approach you. So when I was in pharmacy school, I really didn't have that relationship with my professors. It was always one-sided. Whatever they said was key. They hardly encouraged you to go, you know, this is what I'm I'm, I'm, I'm giving you this concept, but go go um, figure it out or go go at it with your own personality and go research it out. It was, it was just garbage in, garbage out, no pun intended. And so having to come to the U.S. and seeing how it was different, where professors really wouldn't, you know, give you everything, they expect you to go learn some things on your own and, you know, come to class and discuss. And even if your opinions differed from the professors, they were still allowed. I mean, you cannot get away with that in engineering universities. You cannot oh, argue wow. with your professors. Oh, yeah. Really? You're going to... You're gonna, Oh, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna graduate that day. You're not gonna be getting a degree. You'll be <laughs> <maxed> for life. <laughs> no. So that's the downside of it. It's it's professors are seen as demigods, which can be quite problematic. But here is totally different. Um, students, I feel like are given too much power, 
and and they know they have that power. Now, I haven't had these experiences personally, but like I said, I belong to a lot of groups with you know people like me, academias like people in academia like me, and I've had someone complain about how a student had called her a B word in class, and oh, oh yeah. For real, and then even went as far as saying, "Oh, after all, we pay you know your salary." Like things like that can happen in my country, Nigeria. Like you, you can't even muster muster up the courage to say that kind of thing. So I feel like um just making it a little bit less student centric. I feel like sometimes accommodations are just too much. It's mm. accommodation upon accommodation upon accommodation, and then the professors feel powerless. So. That said, I do see some things here that are quite, you know, good that I wish we could implement in my country, Nigeria. And I also see some things in Nigeria that I think we can implement here. I think a, a bit of a balance because those are like two extreme. So imagine coming from Nigeria and coming here and seeing that students. I almost had like, you know, a coronary. <laughs> <laughs> a heart attack, right? <laughs> <laughs> You know, there's still that, you know, hiding Jekyll, you know, inside of me trying to fight, like, you know, be a good, you know, be the bad day one. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely. So those are some of my, um, my, my, I guess, my thoughts on that. But like I said, they're drawn from my experiences and I do not in any way, way think that they should be generalized beyond, you know, the uh, filtering them through my own experiences as a Nigerian living here. Yeah, wow. It's it's just funny how you say that cuz again we experienced that we experienced that at the elementary level at the elementary level also. Um with the parents, right? I can imagine they have yeah, the Yes, exactly. So I guess it just continues on. Um interestingly enough. But like you said, that balance of like okay, yes, you need the freedom and the creativity to, you know, to learn and grow and to try your own and new ideas. But you also need to respect the professor, <laughs> right? A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. Just, just a little bit. And I think we're going to have a perfect system. But I think a lot of programs are kind of scared to like reprimand students. And so this particular friend of mine, she didn't, the school didn't really tackle it, you know, to her satisfaction. Like, you can, how can you call your professor a B-word? Like, it's, it's just, yeah. if we're thinking about it right now. Like, it makes you upset, right? Yeah, what am I... One of my other friends went through the same thing, but she taught middle school. She teaches middle school, and uh, the student wrote it in an email. And <laughs> oh my goodness! I mean, if there's any consolation, middle school they're still going through the you know teenage um, yeah. the of teenagehood. That's still not acceptable, anyways. But this is like you know, this is professional College. students, right? Yeah, family. Yeah, it's just, that's just it's unacceptable. Just, yeah, very unacceptable. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, um, just to kind of finish things up, uh, why did you get into podcasting? Oh, that's a very, I wasn't expecting that part of it. Um, I think like being a, and I always go back to this, sorry, I keep using this example, but it's just, it's just been my experience. So moving to the U.S. and seeing just all of the abundance of culture, I love people. I mean, I enjoy people to a certain extent. I was um, always that curious child who went to the principal's office during break times and just picked up a book and plunked on the floor and read it. I loved reading encyclopedias. I I just loved watching TV shows on culture. And so when I moved to the US and I started engaging people whose, whose countries I had known about, they were always kind of surprised. How did you know that? I was like, well, I just know. you know. So I think moving to the US was like Christmas for me, like almost like a fat child in a candy store. 
because I, I was able to like meet with people and just you know share just just hear them out and see different experiences. And I came to that conclusion that wow, we were kind of the same but then different, you know. And I think what did it for me was while I was in Boston, I had gone on an internship for a biotech company and had a Korean as a roommate. And then before then she was um with classmates and I had asked her, hey, can I, we're taking star class together. Like, hey, can I borrow, you know, just to fill in some parts that I didn't get. And I saw that she had scribbled some words in Korean. And I was like, what's that? Said, oh, that's my language. Like, oh, that looks weird. Anyways, um, and we ended up rooming together. And I I, I just realized that we're, we're kind of similar. Like, she liked rice. I like rice. But she she ate rice so much, but she wasn't as chubby as I am. So I kept thinking, thank you, asking her, like, how come you eat rice every day and just, you know, not chubby? <laughs> Well, apparently in Korea, they flip the whole food pyramid upside down. Rice is a side dish, it's not a main dish. But in Nigeria, we eat rice like in bucket loads. And so I started <laughs> learning a little thing about that. And then we started talking about our parents. And I, remember, I realized that our mothers were both neurotic people, you know. Oh, my God. Very, very, like, you know, storing needle and thread in, like, you know, Danish cookie jars and things like that. And I realized, oh, my gosh, like, looking at you, looking at me, I we, People wouldn't say that was so, you know, I like in so many ways. And so that kind of just did it for me. In talking to people, we all, the connection there is that we all want to feel like we belong somewhere, right? And there's always community anywhere, even in among like negative groups, like where there's racism and all that, that's community right there. The KKK is a community, you know, the church is a community. And I wanted to just keep telling stories. I wanted to show people that, hey, we might have different ways of doing life, but at the end of the day, we all want to feel like we belong somewhere. And if I can talk to anybody whose you know lifestyle and thought processes are different from mine, and we can at least we might not agree on one part of these things, but at least we can agree on something else. Let's have a discussion. Let's share your stories. And so that was it. I wanted to just show that we we have that same same but different thread that runs through all of us. And I chose blacks, you know, because you know. I'm Nigerian and it took me a while to be able to say I'm black in the US because of so many things I've had to like, it took a while for me to kind of, you know, get ensconced into calling myself black. Cause as a Nigerian, it was a thing of pride to be called Nigerian and not, you know, African-American or black. But I've, you know, since come a long way and, and I've accepted that and I boldly proclaimed that. And then Asians, I speak Korean and I've, you know, I've ensconced myself into that culture. And for those who, who love them, that's a third component of my podcast. And, and that's almost everybody. I want to share stories. I want to connect people. I want to set stories free. I, as a Nigerian, there's some things that we're taboo to talk about. So I decided to start using myself as an example. Kissing points, um, I've had miscarriages and I struggle with infertility. It's a couple of things that my mother was telling me, oh, you can share that. Wait until you have a baby. I'm like, well, it's not happening anytime soon. And I'm going through these shameful experiences. I feel like I'm alone, but I'm, I bet I'm not alone. So I'm going to talk about it. So I, that was one of the biggest things I did on my podcast, telling my story. And you have no idea just how many emails and, you know, private messages I got like, oh, me too. I'll be going through it. You, you wouldn't even know. One in four people, you know, have gone through one form of wow. or the other. But we don't really talk about it. And I was like, I want to archive the process. You know, people usually come after the fact that, oh, well, we have a baby now. But guess what? We've had, like, series of miscarriages as well. I don't have a baby yet, but I just wanted to share that. So I, I think I have that gift of helping people just say things that they don't want to talk about. I'm also big on vulnerability. 
I've, I'm getting better with that. And I like having good conversations. Like a good day for me is to sit down across my brown table and have a conversation with somebody. That's that's that for me is a good day, you know. So that's what my podcast really is. If you listen to any episode, it's just me having a conversation. Even when I'm talking about things like child sexual abuse, it's still a conversation. I never want to make it like super sensational. I want to come out of it with a process so the person leaves feeling like I feel heard, I feel you know validated in a way. And I hope that they don't still have that sting of the shameful experiences after they're gone. So yeah, that's my ministry. And um, I feel very honored to have people come on the show to share their stories. But I felt like for me to have gotten the wealth of information, I had to offer something because people can always see right through your BS. And it took a while for me to get comfortable. So my first, I, I mentioned my fourth season in April. The first season was just, you know, talking about favorite food, favorite country, you know, <laughs> it really stopped. <laughs> And then season two was like, oh, miscarriage is fertility. And season three was like, <laughs> abuse, you know, uh, sexual abuse, rape. You know, I was like, I don't know what season four is going to be like, but I know that every year I'm like, I'm going up that ladder and I'm like, calm down, lady. Like, how dare you even talk about that publicly? But, you know, um, there's so much strength in just saying those things out. Because once you, um, there's this popular saying, like, blizzard are the cracks for the shall see the light. I want to crack people open so they can shed some light into those dark spaces in them. Because once you open up your mouth and say, this will happen to me, this is my story, that that in itself is so liberating. Because it's out there, you can't take it back anymore. And you find that, huh, I wish I had spoken up sooner. But you know what? Any day is as better as any. So yeah, that's my podcast. Wow, that's amazing, Mom. Yeah, that vulnerability piece. <laughs> I need to work on that myself. But yeah, wow. So where can everybody find you? Before I say that, I think being vulnerable is always going to be a present progressive. So take your time. Don't rush it. Take your time. Um, I'm not anywhere near where I used to be, but I know it gets better every day. I am on Facebook. Uh, actually, Facebook is not a place to hang out. Instagram will be the place for me at Mostable, M-O-S-I-B-Y-L. And I can also send all of that information to Shanimari. My podcast is also on Instagram as at the more civil podcast. So M-O-R-E. Even though my name is more, I call it more because it's like you get more out of me, the more civil podcast. My website is also ww.mosibo.com, M-O-S-I-B-Y-L.com. You can find the podcast anywhere in legal where you can get a pod- where you get a podcast on. You know, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts as the Merciful Podcast. So if you listen to this and sorry, Shani Marie, a quick plug. If you want to come share your stories, no matter how dark, funny, deep, whatever, let's have a conversation. I'm always, always in the business of sharing stories. So come, let's have a chat. Yes, I definitely will. Um, yeah, we'll have to set that up again. Yeah. Thank you again so much, Mo. This was great. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening. I'll put Mo's information in the show notes so we can reach out to her, listen to her podcast.